0: All right, church, let's worship together this morning as we worship God for what he's done, for what he's doing, and what he promises to do. the God who was, we worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, He parted the raging sea. My God
1: he Now we're 15:57 says, "Thanks be to God who gives us victory in our Lord Jesus Christ." We face battles every day, but through Jesus' salvation and deliverance, we have victory. There's a. T-
0: easy to sing those songs but to actually mean those songs is a completely different thing it's so easy for them to stay in our heads and never move to our hearts my sins are forgiven my future is heaven and i praise god for what he's done amen you know i we're in a series of life of having a 5 year old at home that is a non-stop talker and she asks so many questions and speaks all the time and her favorite word is daddy or these are words sorry daddy 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 i have something to tell you non-stop daddy 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 i have something to tell you and it can be As minute or as grandiose from a five-year-old's perspective. Daddy, 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 I got something to tell you. My tooth is loose. Daddy, 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 I got something to tell you. I forgot. (laughs) But there's an urgency with this little girl that when she sees her daddy she has to say something daddy, daddy, daddy I have something to tell you and I hope as a husband and a dad that I would have that same intentionality and urgency to be able to communicate to my family because something that she always says is daddy, daddy, daddy guess what I have something to tell you, I love you. And I thought, I wonder how many times we communicate with our heavenly father, daddy, 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 Abba, Abba, Abba. I have something to tell you, I love you. So I just wanna take a couple minutes for us be able to pray together corporately as well as individually for you to be able to say daddy, daddy, daddy I have something to tell you and there's four things that we're going to cover praising him with adoration confessing to him giving him thanks and supplication asking whatever's on your heart right now and if you feel like you need to kneel If you feel that you want to raise your hands, I want to give you the freedom to do that. But at this moment, would you just take the time, right where you're at, and just praise Him for who He is. Give Him adoration. take a moment right now to thank him something on your heart right now that to ask the God, uh, whatever we ask for at this moment, I pray that it would not be for our personal gain, God, but for yours. For your will to be done and for you to be glorified. And God, I just ask that you would remind us, Lord, that you are God and we are not. God, that you are sovereign. God, that you reign forever. God, that you are our hope, our deliverer. Daddy, 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 Abba, 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 we have something to tell you. We love you, Lord. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong
2: Hey, good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor. So glad that you are with us. You are catching us in the uh, in the midst of a new series. We're diving into First Samuel. Hopefully, you are as excited about it as I am. I'm at home when I'm in a book. When I'm teaching through a book, that makes me happy. That's my happy place. And so, happy New Year to y'all. Yeah, Happy New Year. It's a time of New Year's resolutions. I've already dusted off my kind of digital, you know, calorie counting app and started using it again, and I haven't broken it yet, so I haven't broken my New Year's resolution. I don't know about you guys, but it's a time where we make some decisions on the year, and hopefully 2023 is going to be a great year for you. Now, if you went to the doctor, you would tell you, you need to lose weight. If you went to the chiropractor, you tell you you need to stretch more. If you went to the dentist, you tell you, you need to floss more. If you went to your athletic training, you said you need to exercise more. And when you go to your pastor, uh, Dr. David Hurtado, nonetheless, he's going to tell you you need to read your Bible more. And so uh, you know this year, I hope you already started your Bible reading plan, get the app and start reading. maybe this year's the year so you know i 'm just going to double down on sitting under the Word of God and under the teaching of god 's word i 'm going to make sure I get to church more often this year. Uh, maybe it 's you know the weekends where the family stuff doesn 't work out or the job or whatever i 'm going to make sure that I watch it online I, whether i 'm in my living room on Sunday and i wasn 't able to get there today, but i 'm going to watch it. We have that vehicle there or or you know on Wednesday, I'm going to take in the messages online, I can still participate, I can still make sure that I sit under the teaching of God's word, and and we would love to see you do that, we'd love to to help you foster that in your life, there's a a whole bunch of volunteer opportunities around here, if you want to serve, that helps you have the accountability to come, some people are like, you know what, I need to to have that accountability, so if I know they're expecting me, I'll come, you know, type of thing, or maybe it's jumping in a growth group. Uh, people who know your name and know your need, uh, we're in this season right now, where we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll be taking on new people into growth groups, we'll be signing up right now, and you know, having a community in our church, is such a large building, such so many people, this section doesn't know the people over there, maybe if I had this 10 or 15 people in my life, they'd pray for me, and maybe I'd grow spiritually. We'd love to see you do all those things, and uh, we want to help you get there in 2023. I'm excited, because any, any year with a three in it, it's going to be a good year. I just love the number three. You know, so 2024 is going to suck. But 2023 is awesome. And so uh, I'm excited about this year. Hey, one more thing. If you were with us in the fall, uh, you know that we had this big campaign, this big initiative we called the Welcome Project. If you're new to us, it it was something we unveiled in the fall to say that we wanted to refresh, we wanted to modernize, we wanted to to do some things on our campus to give our God our best. And, and, And our people had decided to give above and beyond their normal gifts to the two of about $800,000, almost a million dollars, given above and beyond their gifts for the next three years. And I I wanna give you some, uh, 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 you know, every once in a while, I'll give you a little update on what things are going on. If you're new to us and you go to the lobby and you'll see these pictures on the wall, that would be the pictures of the preferred tomorrow, okay? Those are the the vision pictures right now. They're just kind of watercolor, but one day we're hoping it'll be here live. And, And we are hoping that we can begin construction this year at some point. Uh, But I just need to let you know right now, we went to the city with those drawings and preliminary plans, and we did get a preliminary approval from the city. So that's actually really good news, Uh, really exciting news. That allows us now to take those preliminary drawings, go back to our architect, and then turn those into engineer, structural, architectural drawings, and then we got to go back to the city and make sure that, you know, everything is up to code. But as for the concept in general, the city has given their approval, now it's just whether not you know weight bearing all this kind of stuff, making sure that it can you know actually work, and so we are months down the road still from 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 you seeing anything different around here. Months down the road, uh, but uh, at the same time we're very excited about that because we just were able to hurdle uh, you know something that could have been uh, you know in, in some situations when I was in Arizona that was actually a big hurdle to get over that first one with the city to to, to okay our preliminary drawing. So uh, we're excited about that, very very excited. Uh, much more to come in the months to come. We'll you some updates. Uh, But just so you know, the Welcome Project giving for the three years starts this month. And so if you committed to give above and beyond your regular gifts uh, to the Welcome Project, we'd love for you to start giving this month. We even have a video today that allow you to know how to automate those gifts so you don't ever forget that type of thing. We just want to continue to be able to do the project. And so, and there may be many people, by the way, who say, you know, I didn't know about it. I want to join in. Please see Kenny. Uh, There's a way for you to get involved or, or even through throughout the year if God blessed me more than I anticipated this year and I want to get involved there's a way to do that as well See, Kenny we want to make sure there's some dreams that we left on the table that if God would give us the full amount we could do other things as well and so uh, be sure to uh, avail yourself of that if that's the situation that God puts you in all right first Samuel you ready all right, I'm ready too. Uh, but before we get there, about 25 years ago, I was in college. And, uh, you know, in uh, 25 years ago, you know, there weren't any cell phones around at that time. I was still doing pagers. You know, Texting was just going to start coming on the scene like the mid-2004, 2005 texting takes off. You know. The whole cell phone thing was new. And I'm in college without all those items. In fact, we didn't even have like computer laptops, uh, uh, you know, well we had lab- as a like kind of a luxurious thing if you had your own computer or laptop, but it really didn't make a lot of sense because there wasn't this thing called wireless internet yet, and so you couldn't really go on the the internet unless you wired in type of thing. You had to connect it with a wire. And and so desktops were kind of like, you know, the, the, the computers of the day. And they had these things in college, these big, large rooms they would call a computer lab. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those. It'd be like a big, large room, like 30, 40 some odd computers in there. Each one of them was numbered. And as long as you were a student at your university, you were able to avail yourself of the use of those computers for free. And of course they're plugged into the internet so you can do that if you need to. Or you can just type a word document, maybe type your term paper. And we would would walk around with these little gizmos. You ever remember these guys? Uh, these little 3.5 discs—they're actually kind of fragile. If you drop it in water, you'll lose all, everything on it, type of thing. Uh, you can, they can be corrupted very, very easily. They hold about 13 or so word documents, and this—you'd have one in your pocket, and that way, if you go to computer lab, you can work on this term paper over here. Or this class is a different disc, and you, you'd—all these little 3.5 discs that you would that you would use—and you go to the computer lab and avail yourself of of all that. And I'm being really specific because I want you to remember the genre of time. It's much different than today. We have phones, I can connect to the internet to my phone right now. I mean, that's we just weren't there. You know, we had these computer labs. Where you could do your homework. You connect to the internet and whatnot. And, and we just found out, I just found out in the computer lab, that there was a way for to, to, from one computer to communicate to another computer. It was like an MS-DOS kind of a process that had been done with a school. And so I could write you a note. All I needed to know, if I'm on com- a computer number 26 and you're on number 5, all I need to know is your computer number. And I could actually send you a, a message. And it would be like a text message message today, but there weren't any text messages back then. And it'd just pop up on your screen like a big rectangle and it'd say, hey, how you doing? And, and people would be like, oh, it's like the computer's talking to me. You, you know what I mean? And you can have fun with this. Hey, gorgeous. You know, and the, the computer thinks I'm gorgeous, you know. And you can have a, a lot of fun with this kind of thing, you know. And so I had died and gone to heaven because I'm like one of those guys, ADD. I can work on something for like two hours and I need a half an hour break. And so, okay, it's time for me to break. I'm going to prank that person. You know, it's everything. And I, and I just mess with people, you know, they don't, if they don't know that they, there's a message process in between the two computers, then they wouldn't know uh, that, you know, that the stuff is going on. And so it's a lot of fun for me. And and, and you know, this it isn't college. There's people that you connect with, people you have chemistry with, and people you don't really have chemistry with. And and, and there was one such person for me. He's the kind of guy who would monopolize the class and wanted everybody to know how smart he was. Oh, gag me! Just killed me you know uh, he'd ask questions that he knew the answers for because he wanted the professor to think how smart he was ah oh, just drove me absolutely crazy and yeah that stuff would happen in theology classes too these guys who wanted to kind of pop his guys who wanted to show off and and the thing that irritated me the most is he wouldn't raise his hand he'd sit in the front row and he just asked questions like like the whole class is just here for him you know i'm in the back going hey hey i got a question over here and you know when i grew up hey man raise your hand dude You know, know, all of us, I paid as much for this school as you do, and so I should be able to ask a question too. But he'd just sit in the front, he wouldn't raise his hands. And so, uh, suffice it to say, I didn't really connect with the guy. There wasn't a lot of chemistry. And then one day, he walks into the computer lab. Oh, Yeah. And I'm gonna tell you, this guy had it coming. And uh, you know, I'm sitting at uh, computer number 26, and he sits down at computer number 13. Of course, that I give it some time, let him get into that document real, real good. And, uh, and I'm not saying that it ever happened, but somebody could send a message saying, system failure will require the computer restart in 25 seconds. Items not saved will be lost. <laughs> Pop. <laughs> and you see go, control safe, control safe, control safe, you know, you know, and, and I'm not saying that it ever happened, but a, a person could do a follow-up, system failure, your Word document could not be saved. Try again, 15 seconds. You know, uh, uh, and I'm not saying that it ever happened, but it could be a follow, a final follow up message could have been sent from computer number 26 to computer number 13. Source system, uh, uh, source of system failure found. 3.5 disk in drive A will be completely erased and brought back to factory settings. He's like, what? that's my whole term paper, you know, he's going, you know, eventually he'll go up to the computer lab assistant and he'll learn that you can send messages in between computers and somebody was messing to you, but by that time, the guy behind computer number 26 is long gone. Now, I share that today because number one is dang funny, and, uh, and because, you know, it probably isn't the best way to handle your problems. Probably not the best way to handle your frustrations, your angst. You shouldn't take your disappointments and let that that dictate your actions in life. Normally, that'll come back to haunt you um, in life and in general. Today, we're going to be looking at what happens when we allow our disappointments to dictate our life. What happens when we allow our disappointments to dictate our life? Generally speaking, do we find ourselves inside or outside the will of God when we allow our depression, our distress, our disappointments to dictate the actions of our life. And do we, where do we find ourselves afterwards? Acting on disappointments, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? And what is the end game for such activities? Does it lead us towards God's best or does it lead us towards a world of hurt? And that's what we're gonna be looking at today. And truth be known, we started off kind of on a light-hearted note this morning, laughing together. We did so because by the end of this thing, we might be on the opposite side of the emotional spectrum. And I just would pray that you would prepare your heart for that, that you'd be prayerfully open to God's word today. Uh, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel, and if you have a bound Bible, you want to, might want to stick a, uh, a, uh, a, 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 uh, a, what do you call those things? bookmark. Thank you. A bookmark in there because we're going to be in there for a while. I don't even know when this thing will end, but we're going to have a great time going through the book of First Samuel. The overarching question today is what happens when we allow our disappointments in life to dictate our actions? What happens when we allow our disappointments in life to dictate our actions? The first thing we're going to see is that we find ourselves outside the will of God. Oftentimes, if I am so distressed and disappointed about the events of my life and, and I let that overwhelm me and I start acting upon those things, I will oftentimes find myself outside the will of God. On a general level, you might have even seen it in your life, when I act on my disappointments, I find myself outside the will of God. I'm not living life the way God would want me to live it anymore when I'm living like that. And we're going to see that in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and let's look at verses one to three together. Before I say that, you saw the bumper. And, uh, you know, we're going to look at the Hebrew monarchy through the book of First Samuel. There is a, a transition between the judges of the book of Judges to the kings in First and Second Samuel. And there's a transition period. And that's what First Samuel is all about. But before we can get to those kings, we need to... F- Look at the very birth of Samuel himself, and that's kind of where we're headed. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, and pray for me on these names as they're on the screen for you. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. There was a certain man of Ramathain, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of uh, Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf. Uh, the Ephrathite, and he had two wives, and Lord Jesus, please let there be one-syllable wives. The name of the first one was Hannah, that's not bad, and the name of the other was Penaya, I'm going to say, Penny, Penina, let's call it Penina, and Penina had children, but Hannah had no children, now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where, his sons, where the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, Phinehas uh, were priests of the Lord. Let's stop there. What happens when you allow disappointments in life to dictate your actions while you find yourself outside the will of God? Um, polygamy. Did you see that? Here's a man, a Cana, who has two wives, and he finds himself in a polygamous relationship. Now, I'm pretty sure nobody on the way to church this morning thought to yourself, "Hey, I wonder if we'll do a polygamy today." Um, uh, everybody, say polygamy. There you go. So we are dealing with polygamy today, and, uh, I, and, and if you are a polygamist, but rest assured, I'm not going to be sharing tips on how you could, you know, treat your one preferred wife versus your non-preferred wife. We're just not going there today. Uh, I hate to disappoint you. But there is a lot of reasons why, uh, you know, you would have the motivation to, to be a polygamist in the Old Testament. In ancient times, there were motivations for polygamy. And they, and they would kind of go like this. Uh, you know, uh, it would be a sign of financial prowess for sure. Uh, you walked around with multiple wives and multiple families. You're, you're showing that, that you have some financial stability about you. So it was a little bit of a sign of a social economic level. It provided a way to increase the supply of children, which would then increase the, uh, the, the supply of labor that you would need in your farming community, and so that was another motivation for polygamy. There, there was also the, the, the high rate of females dying in the midst of childbirth, and so another you know, kind of quasi-motivation for polygamy, you know, if you die, I've got another one, you know, type of thing. That was funnier in my head, I thought, but... Uh, <laughs> um, and, but the main reason and, th- and this is probably what we have here in 1 Samuel The main reason for polygamy Was to compensate for barrenness If I had a wife who uh, come to find out Is not able to bear me a child More specifically is not able to bear me a son Then I might take on a second wife So I can have a child More specifically a son So my namesake could continue on So that there was somebody there who would take care of us in our old age. And so that would be the primary motivation when we see polygamy in the scriptures. That would be one of the main ones. And here we see that Hannah is not able to provide Alkina with a child. And so he takes on a second wife who is able to provide multiple children. And, And And... the depiction of the idea of barrenness in the Old Testament, you have to know, is a little bit of a, of a, of a negative depiction. If you were barren, then you were kind of considered cursed by God. And the reason was because children were a sign of God's blessing, according to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. So if you're not able to have children, you're not blessed of God. In fact, you are cursed of God. That would be the idea or the context of barrenness, infertility in the Old Testament. These women were often discarded. They were often ostracized. They were given a lower status. And and it's really one of the reasons that it's so beautiful in the scripture is that God uses these women more than six times in a miraculous way to bring about his purposes he takes the purpose, person at the lowest state and uses no less six times in the scriptures to show I want to use you even coming out of that low place. It's beautiful. Didn't have to do that. But he met women at their lowest point. Sometimes God has purposes that we can neither see nor understand. I want you let that resonate in your heart. Sometimes God has purposes that you can neither see nor understand. can be true of so many situations. And so as we often see in the Old Testament literature, sometimes it was just a a, a wife deciding she's gonna help God out. We saw this with Abraham and and Sarah. I'm not able to give you a child, there's a a promised child from God, we gotta help him out. Here, take Hagar, my servant, she'll be your wife, she'll give you children, and boom! We'll have this problem solved, we'll help God out. You know, uh, ironically enough, if you go to Genesis chapter 16 and look how that turned out, uh, there's actually animosity between the sister wives, uh, and it doesn't turn out so well. Even though it was her idea, she was trying to help God out, and oftentimes it becomes a, a, a kind of a theme with this that, you know, uh, it is, it, these problems come about because we're not trusting God in the midst of it. Sarah does end up having a child, like God promised. It wasn't through Hagar that that promise was fulfilled. Interestingly enough, in the Old Testament, there is provision made for um, the the context of polygamy. What do I mean by that? Um, The practice is in the Old Testament. It is never endorsed. It is never uh, applauded. It is never recommended. It is never condoned. But because the activity is there and present, God does bring some guidelines of how to deal with things. Not going to be able to take on wives and not provide for them because who's going to provide for them? And so he goes out of his way to, to, to make sure that there are some provisions about uh, how polygamy and how that should take place. But it's never condoned, never applauded, never recommended. It's not God's best. In fact, I would kind of liken it to like divorce. Divorce. Divorce is also something that's never, it's in fact, it's directly against the scriptures, but because they were in the hardness of their heart in the Old Testament, they were doing it anyway. Moses had to come and give some stipulations about how it should be done because you're doing it anyway, and we don't want these women to have to die on the street, so how are we going to manage this? Managing the activity because of the hardness of heart, even though they go outside the directives of God. And so polygamy is kind of similar it's there, but it's not God's best. Now, um, I'm going to go a little, level a little deeper here, and, and I want to share that in New Testament, a validation of this, it is uh, not coincidental that when, when Jesus talks about marriage and, and when the Apostle Paul, the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul, when they talk about marriage, they do not reference any of the heroes of the Old Testament. Like, they go out of their way to ignore David, Solomon, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, They skip past all those folks in the Old Testament who are the heroes of the Old Testament when talking about marriage. And the reason they would skip past them, I would say, would be because of their polygamous endeavors. When the Lord Jesus and when the Apostle Paul talk about marriage, They go back to Genesis 2.24, which says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Jesus and the Apostle Paul go back to Adam and Eve, the purest place where this union happened. That's what they quote, Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Why do they skip over David and Solomon and and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in reference to marriage? Because they had deviated from the original intention of the scriptures and the original intention of God. And so Adam and Eve become our biblical example for marriage. Marriage being between one man and one woman embracing a one flesh sexual ethic, there's one sexual partner, remaining united together until death do them part. That is the original intention, the optimum example of what biblical marriage is in the scriptures. And I want us to be careful that we don't, point at one crew and say well see they don't believe in traditional marriage and at the same time not acknowledge that the divorce rate in the evangelical church in America is very similar to the divorce rate of those who don't have any claim to a savior. We gotta be careful on how judgmental we are because we may be guilty ourselves. And so we see polygamy in the Old Testament but we also see that Jesus taught monogamous relationship in marriage. Paul taught it as well. Now, here's the interesting part. So you got this guy. He's got two wives. Probably does it for, uh, in, in, in those times, understandable reason. Uh, this wife can't give me a son. This wife can't. So I have these two wives. And here is the situation. Uh, after all that is said, in verse 3, he wants to go worship God. Did you see that? Let's put it back on the screen. Now, this man used to go up year. By year from his city to worship and sacrifice the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas were the priests of the Lord. Here's a polygamous dude worshiping God. You see that? I'm steeped in polygamy, and yet every year I'm leading my family to make an annual pilgrimage to go worship God. In this pilgrimage, there would often, uh, you know, be kind of a fellowship offering, and that fellowship offering would have an animal that would be sacrificed. Uh, As part of that, uh, the priests who were present would eat of that sacrifice, and your family would eat of that sacrifice as well. So you have like this fellowship meal as you go to pay homage to God. Uh, A a traditional Jewish uh, family would be called upon To make three annual pilgrimages But, uh, you know, Elkina and his family do it once a year And so here he is, polygamy and yet worship of God Polygamy, worship of God I should go three times a year, but I'm going to go one time a year And and before we just glance away from that fact I I just want you to, 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 to understand that we might be able to see ourselves In that type of hypocrisy as well I mean, we're honest with ourselves. like, Like I'm here today at church worshiping God, but I came with my significant other who I'm living with and I'm not married with. Like I'm here today worshiping God with my wife and kids, but when I hit that business trip to Chicago, there's somebody else I connect with on a regular basis. Like I'm here today worshiping God on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, I'm participating in any number of different vices that are out there. I'm glad we serve a God who meets us right where we're at but loves us too much to leave us there. Um, Before you start pointing fingers or in your heart going, I can't believe this, Paul, everything going to worship God, how is that consistent? It's not, and we aren't either. And in fact, God meets us right in our inconsistency as well. And he loves us enough to say, let's move from here to here. Let's make things right. Let's get reconciled. Let's figure this out in a godly way. Well, when we act out in our disappointments, I'm disappointed my wife can't provide me a child, so I'm going to take on another wife. Oftentimes we find ourselves outside the will of God. I'm in a polygamous relationship. But that's not all. We also find ourselves in a world of hurt. (laughs) A world of hurt. What happens when we allow our disappointments in life to dictate our actions? Well, we can find ourselves in a world of hurt. Have you watched that show, Sister Wives? A world of hurt. All right, let's go to verse four and look at this together. Uh, On the day when Elkinah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, which would be Penina, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went on year by year. So this is a yearly occurrence. This is happening, the rivalry, the envy, the strife. As often as they went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. And therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart so sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Which I think is a comical way of handling that. But uh, uh, what happens when we, when we uh, allow our disappointments in life to dictate our answers? We can find ourselves in a world of hurt. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's like You've heard of sibling rivalry This is like wifely rivalry You know And, and angst You know and, and this idea of a world of hurt It, it happens not only in polygamy But in any, anything When we find ourselves Acting on our disappointments Our distress Our depression In a way that's Not glorifying to God And outside of his will We can find ourselves In a world of hurt It's the, the DUI It's the termination Based on just cause It's the, the baby mama drama It's the addiction It's the loss of of the love of your life. All because we're handling ourselves in those distressful moments in an inappropriate way. Well, here, Elkina finds himself with two wives who are at each other's throats. Wifely envy or rivalry ruins the worshipful experience, I would say. And Hannah's husband treats her kindly, gives her, uh, loves her even though she's barren, Uh, gives Penina her portion of food, which was customary in the day. You would give the portion that would be adequate for her to feed herself and her children. And then you would go to the other wife and you do the same. It's your responsibility to take care of them. But when he came to Hannah, he would give her a double portion. Now it's interesting that the literal phrasing there uh, in the original language is, he would give her two noses, is the literal understanding there. In ancient times, when you had a sacrificed animal, you would save the head or the face of the animal for the king. Like he got the choicest part of the meal. And and, and so when it says that he gave Hannah two noses, the idea is you're getting the preferred portion. You can call it a double portion. You can call it the choicest cut, if you want to think of it that way. Even though she's not able to provide him with a child, He loves her and he treats her right. But Penina is the opposite. The sister-wife, Strife, treats her with contempt. And and here's the hardest part. I need you to, to prepare yourself to hear this. But twice in our text, it is very clear that the source of her angst is the Lord. It says... That Hannah was given a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And then her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It is very clear that the source of Hannah's angst is the Lord, and that God had sovereignly made it so her womb was closed. That's hard truth to hear, but it's in the scriptures. And so, because of this, Hannah would cry every year going to the sacrifice, never wanting to participate because she felt like the Lord is against her. She felt like she is condemned. She felt like, like God, is punishing her. She chose not to eat, and she would cry, which leaves Al-Qaeda in a kind of a situation, interesting situation. How do I fix this? <laughs> in typical man form, he's, "Aren't I enough for you?" Aren't I better than 10 children? No, dude, you're not. (laughs) Can't you see that? (laughs) Like, that's her whole issue. You're not better than the 10 sons. You're not better than one son. He's got himself wrapped up in the difficulty of polygamy, and he took his best shot, and he failed miserably. But the truth is that when we find ourselves outside the will of God, we can find ourselves in a world of hurt. When we allow the distressing points in our life, the depressive points in our life, the bottom of life and we start letting that dictate our decisions, we can find ourselves outside the will of God and we can find ourselves in a world of hurt. The big idea today on the screen and um, it's really kind of a warning for all of us. Be careful that in the midst of your distress you don't end up making a mess. Be careful that in the midst of your distress you don't end up making a mess. Don't make a mess of your distress. And some of you might be finding yourself right now at the lowest low. You're at the bottom. You're at the pit of life. Be careful. These are pivotal moments for you. The decisions you make right now could affect and have ramifications for the rest of your life. I think of the single person. I've been waiting, God. I've been waiting for that religious person to love me and want to be married to me and and that I wanted to be married to for all these years and it hasn't happened, so forget it. I'm just gonna go hook up with anybody out there. Or I'm gonna marry somebody who doesn't also um, embrace the worldview that I embrace. And that decision has ramifications down the road when you have children and you want to be faith-based in your life. Be careful that in the midst of your distress, you don't end up making a mess. Be careful. Now I want to be very sensitive here because at a church of our size, undoubtedly there's families here who have dealt with infertility, which is one of the themes of our passage. And for those of you guys who have dealt with this, I bet it has become the most overwhelming and distressing challenge that you've ever faced. And I just want to be sensitive to that. I'm sorry for the plight that you find yourself in. And I can't imagine the mental messages that you go through and the emotional toll that it takes on you as you deal with that. You know, this was an interesting week for me. I got a phone call from out of the blue from somebody who um, I knew when I was a kid 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, after the, it's been a long time, pleasantries, you know, kind of, you know, talking and whatnot, you, you, a friend like that, you know, it just feels like you never stopped connecting kind of a thing. But he mentioned to me, the reason I'm calling you out of the blue is because my pastor's in trouble. I said, okay. He says, you know, I'm old enough now, Dave, to, to be like a father to you pastors, to be you know, that kind of mentor relationship. And I love this pastor like he's my son. He's a lead pastor of our church. Our church is thriving, it's growing, it's doing amazing. But he's in trouble. I said, okay, well tell me more. Now this is a church that's hundreds of miles away. I obviously won't give you the name of the church or the name of the people involved because that wouldn't be appropriate. But he said to me that uh, his pastor's wife has decided to leave him. She wants to separate. She wants to move out. You see, for years they've been trying to have babies, and for years nothing has come of it. Even after doctor involvement, she's at a low. She's at a low place. There's somebody in the family, it's kind of like a stalwart of the family, that person passed away, and so that's contributing to this lowness, distress. This Depression, deep, deep depression. And she thinks the solution is for her to leave her marriage. Now church, there are many of you who were here four years ago. When we went through this difficulty as a church, when my marriage had reached a distressing point, And only by the grace of God do we stand here together today. My wife serving with me. My wife still with me and my family. And it's something that I'm praying for for this new pastor friend that I met last week as I talked to him on the phone. Tried to encourage him with our story. And I'd ask you, would you commit to praying for him and his wife anonymously? Not knowing where they're at. Not knowing who they are, not knowing anything about their church, but just knowing that we've been through something similar. Would you pray for them in the weeks to come? And all of this this week as I'm dealing with all this, it's just amazing to me to see how God has brought us so far so we can help someone else in a similar place. If I'm honest with you, that's not the first time I've gotten that phone call. I've gotten it probably three times now. People go, oh, I know that story. Hey, let me connect you these. And I go, okay, God, maybe this is why you allowed the story, so we can help other people who are at a low point themselves. I'd ask you to also pray for my wife as she reaches out to this young lady in the next coming weeks in hopes that we can get her to not make decisions in her most lowest distressing point in life that will have ramifications for years to come. I want to put a verse on the screen that I never thought I would utilize, certainly never even thought of it while I was going through what we were going through four years together. It's a famous verse, Romans 8 28. Uh, it says, And and we know that those who love God, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? Good. <laughs> That's not the verse you want to hear when you're going through it. And I would encourage you, don't give that verse to anybody while they're going through it. Don't do that. I remember being right there on my knees, crying my eyes out. I couldn't see any good in it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for... And for those who are called according to his purpose, I don't know that I could see the good then four years ago, but I can see the good now. I just got on the phone this week with a guy who was at the bottom of his life and sharing my story was able to give him some courage that God could still move. God can do a miracle. He did it for me. I don't know that he promises them, but he can do it. And the good in the fact that by the comfort that I was comforted, according to 1 Corinthians 1, 9, I was able to comfort another. I don't know why, God, you allow things in our lives, the difficulties and the things that bring us so low, but it does put us in an amazing place to serve and help others when they're going through it. And maybe that's what he has in mind. Would never force my wife to use that story. I don't do that. But she said, "I think I want to have a conversation with this guy and try to help her." Guys, be careful in times of this stress that you don't make some of the worst decisions in your life that can bring a world of hurt down the road. If you're struggling, why God did you? Why God don't you? Could it be maybe that in four years you might see the whole thing differently? Could it be that God's had some kind of plan down the road that you just don't know about? Be careful that in your distress you don't make a mess. I know what you're thinking. How does Hannah respond? great question. Come next week, and we'll look at that together. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we love you. Father, we love you. Father, we love you. I have something to tell you today. I love you. What a beautiful picture from the mouth of babes. I love you not only in the good times and the high of the mountains, but I love you in the valley low and I'll be here. I remember that was my line. I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm not moving. I'm still here. I came. I showed up. I don't have much emotional anything, but I'm here and I'm not moving. I'm here and I love you. And I trust you when I can't see. Those are the prayers of somebody who's going through. Hang out there. Let God show up for you. And four years later, you might be able to say, he did show up for me. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're struggling with infertility. I don't know if you feel those feelings that Anna would have felt. I I don't have answers for that, but I can take you to a God who does. And I ask you to leave your heartfelt petitions and anguish before him. Get on your knees and wail before him and let him meet you there. Rather than allowing your distress to dictate your your actions and making life a mess. That's the encouragement today. Would you help us do it, Lord? We are humans. We're hurting, and when we're low,
3: we need you to pick us up. We ask you to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. I'm excited about this um, going through Samuel together. It's going to, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take, but (laughs) we're going to learn from David, and I'm excited about that. Um, you, you know, my name's Kenny Kilpel. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. If, uh, you know, you're newer with us, or you're just visiting today, or maybe you're not a believer in Christ, but you have some questions about what it means to follow God, we'd really love to to engage you on those kind of, com- in that conversation. We have people in the lobby and the counter on the left-hand side who would I'd love to talk to you if you have a question. Um, or if you're watching online, you can go to campcc.net and click on next steps at the top of the page, fill a little form, and one of our pastors will get back to you. Um, if you have questions, that's a good thing, um, because if I, I believe you don't have a question that hasn't been asked in 2,000 years of Christianity. So if you have a question, there's an answer, and when we talk about answers, we're talking about the truth, and the truth sets us free. So keep coming back if that's you. And keep asking those questions. And this is a great place to come and explore what it means to follow Christ. All right, we're gonna receive an offering today. This is how um, we support all the ministries here through tithes and offerings. And you can do that by going to campcc.net, click and give at the top of the page. You can use your phone and text an amount to 84321. Or you can, we have an offering box in the lobby if you wanna drop off something there. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for being so, so good to us. Lord, we love you and uh, your presence here in our lives and in this church. We're just so excited about what you're gonna do here in 2023. Uh, Would you be with us and would you bless this offering? Would you use it and multiply it for your kingdom's sake? We say this in Jesus' name, amen. Check out this video.
4: Cam CC, how you doing? Robin Frazier here and I serve happily on our hospitality team. Let me just tell you, I am so glad you're here. If this is your first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you. Mark your connection card, or if you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. We have some great stuff coming up here at CamCC. Monster Movie Night, Saturday, January 14th, from 5 to 7.30 p.m. There'll be hot dogs, snacks, pajama party, and a scare booth competition to win some pretty sweet prizes. Invite your friends, family, and neighbors for a monster fun time. Sunday, January fifteenth, baptisms. We will be having baptisms for both worship gatherings. If you would like to take the next step in your faith, this is your opportunity. Mark the new year with an outward expression of following Jesus. The week of January 22nd, Growth Groups. If you have not tried out Growth Group, you got to try it. It's a great way to connect and build relationships while studying God's Word. It's only eight weeks and child care is available. Sign up at camcc.net slash growth groups. Chat with Pastor Jim on the patio or shoot him an email. JimMoyer at camcc.net. We also have two classes kicking off that same week. Tuesdays, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, Learn great financial principles that are applicable to your current financial situation. You can be on the road of getting out of debt. It's nine weeks and taught by two CPAs, the Lawbockers. The second is on Wednesday nights, Pathway, a six-week journey in discovering how to grow in your faith and getting connected to CAMCC. This is a great way to meet all the pastors and directors and have fun meeting new people. To sign up for either of these classes, go to camcc.net slash growth groups, or email Jim Moyer at camcc.net. If you are interested in automating your pledge to the Welcome Project, I can tell you how. Go to camcc.net and click Give. Click Donate or set up recurring giving. Choose the amount, choose the Welcome Project in the dropdown, then choose the frequency. Then you should be good to fill out the rest of the form. If you need help with any of this, contact Kenny at camcc.net and he would be more than happy to set you up. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, you can go to camcc.net. I'm Andalyn Ziegler and
1: I'm a worship worship leader here at CAMCC. Um, Something I got out of the message today was, we can't let our disappointments dictate our actions. We must turn to the Lord if we are in distress instead of making a mess or doing something we regret. I think this is really important. Um, Guests, remember to grab your gifts at the Welcome Center. And remember, Monster Movie Night is this Saturday at 5 p.m. and you can win some cool prizes like a Razor scooter and other cool stuff. Join us on the patio for a donut and coffee and we hope to see you this Saturday.